today we're going to look at another aspect of the discipling calling and we're going to ask another profound and uh, and critical question which we will we will say why should we disciple Hello and welcome to another episode of our teaching series, which we titled Band of Disciples, Band of Disciples. And the whole purpose of this teaching series is to equip you with uh, biblical and practical strategies so that you can get better at discipling others for Jesus. And uh, we make the assumption that you are already prompted by God to engage in this discipleship movement that Jesus established 2,000 odd years ago, and that you're ready to embrace God's calling over your life. Maybe you're looking for some uh, different strategies, or you're just exploring different ways of discipling others. And we are so blessed and honored to have your company. In this particular um, uh, teaching series, we have uh, three main mini-series, if you like, or three main segments. Uh, the first uh, teaching uh, sessions are about the disciple, the discipling calling. Uh, the, 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 the next few uh, sessions that we'll do a little bit later will be about the discipling community. And finally, we'll conclude with the discipling competencies. Um, uh, today, we're going to look at another aspect of the discipling calling, and we're going to ask another profound and, uh, and critical question, which we will, we will say, why should we disciple? Why should we disciple? And that's a huge, huge question to ask. Sometimes we do things habitually. We engage in activities habitually. But when the going gets tough, uh, if we don't have a strong why, we basically, um, you know, get discouraged and we don't endure. Uh, we may even give up or change the activity that we've been involved in or we change the goal. Uh, there was a friend of mine uh, at a period, period of time where I was ministering in the church, and he would always remind me of this little quote. He would say, if your uh, why doesn't make you cry, it's not strong enough. Honestly, he would repeat that. If your why doesn't make you cry, it's not strong enough. And you and I have experienced and observed people who are moved with passion or compassion or a really significant cause that's fueling their energy, uh, fueling uh, you know their, their activities, is helping them and encouraging and inspiring them to uh, even selflessly invest resources uh, and time into a particular activity. I saw this firsthand in one of the churches that I was part of where they had an incredible uh, worship uh, team and a creative arts team. They were combined together and they were, read, they were led by uh, two leaders who were so extremely passionate and dedicated to the task. 
you know, it was a, a little bit of a, of a, a funny thing in my mind that whenever I saw them around the church foyer, I could tell that they were trying to convince or sell or persuade someone to be on their team. They were always on the lookout for more recruitment. My goodness, if I could only get that courage and that tenacity that they have and bottle it up and sell it, uh, you know, it would make a lot of money. Uh, these two leaders would go and speak with people and um, and you'll always see them uh, animated in their discussions. And, and more often than not, you will realize that that person they were talking to, just within a few weeks, they, they're rehearsing auditioning for the band or rehearsing for a production, they had some magic going on. They truly, uh, they, 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 they intend on being the best team in the church. Uh, mind you, most other teams diminished in numbers, but their team was, was, going, was going crazy. And it wasn't easy. You know, they were always engaged in some auditioning. They would have rehearsals. Uh, in fact, before a major production, they would rehearse for three months. They would have people there more than once uh, in the evening, a week, like once, twice, sometimes towards the end, three times. It, I just did not know how they managed to persuade people to invest that much energy and effort and resources uh, in in the worship band and uh, and uh, and the production, and I don't know their why. Uh, truly, I can never possibly guess why they were so fired up about this particular uh, activity and their project and and their ministry. Uh, but I'd imagine they were really passionate about the creative arts. Uh, I imagine that they probably were talented individuals in that creative space that, that they just wanted to do the best possible uh, productions available. Maybe they were convinced like many of us growing up that if you improve the, 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 the production on a Sunday, if you improve the worship or the music, the, 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 all the associated activities of that, that it's a spectacular show. And that would attract a lot of people. And, uh, and it could be a combination, all of that. It could be different uh, whys, but they had a very strong why. And it's critical for us to know our why. Why do you engage in discipling others? Why? It's not good enough to say, I just want to, to be a discipler. You got to uh, articulate, document, and embrace the why uh, for uh, your engagement in discipling. And, and throughout my ministry years and my observations of Christian uh, dynamics in different environments, I've noticed that some people engage in discipling because of the promise of bigness. You know, they maybe heard a story, read a book about a large church that is implemented, um, you know, discipling in their environment. Maybe they have watched a, a, a training, um, you know, a church that training others to do discipling 
discipling and they know that church succeeded and they have, you know, hundreds or, or whatever, thousands of people part of their congregation and think that's it. If we engage in discipling, we're going to have a big church and, and God bless us Christians, you know, we're, we're so far up about big everything because it makes us feel big. <laughs> so that might be one of the reasons why people engage in discipling. It might be for the buzz, you know, it's the, it's the buzzword, discipleship, discipleship, discipleship that, discipleship this, and, and, and you know, other, um, you know, people are doing discipling, so, you know, you don't want to be, a, you know, left behind, it's like a spiritual farmer. I want to also engage in a spiritual fact, you know, other people are doing it, so I might as well do it, I don't want to miss out, just in case, and others of us, may be involved in discipling because they, they, they imagine God is going to give them some brownie points, you know. God is going to pat them on the back and say, wow, you way to go. You know, it's exciting that I see you discipling. I'm, I'm going to give you an extra this or an extra that. And, and they seek to gain God's approval uh, through their activity. And all these um, motivations and, 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 and are truckloads. As, as many people as you know, there will be motivations, a mixture of motivations. But is there a motivation that's inspiring and healthy and sustainable that will keep us going uh, when the going gets tough? Is there something that we could embrace, something that is biblical, that we could embrace that would that would motivate us to continue our 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 activity, to continue our investment, to continue our project and our calling of, of being disciplers, despite of the circumstances of life, despite of the criticism of others, regardless of consequences. Like I, I, the two leaders that I mentioned to you earlier, when they first started this creative arts thing, they started at a church that wasn't known um, for its creative, um, uh, you know, emphasis. And uh, some people, I, I learned that some people left the church as a result of their emphasis on, on these type of productions. But that didn't deter them. Criticism uh, didn't uh, derail their, their energy. They were still so energized because they were motivated by something, whatever that something may have been. And this is my hope for you and I, that we would figure out what motivates us and inspires us to continue our calling as discipling people who help people become more like Jesus in the world. And today, I just want to mention few biblical uh, um, motivations uh, that, that helped me over the years and helps our team uh, to, to disciple others. And I hope you find one or more of those uh, biblical motivators uh, helpful and inspiring for you. So the first one is obviously what we mentioned in our uh, last Last session is in the definition of discipling. Discipling is a biblical mandate. When Jesus left planet Earth, he took the disciples on a hill and he instructed them that this is your mission in life. If you forget everything else, don't forget this one, that you are to go and make disciples. It's an imperative. It's a command of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And we see here very clearly uh, the holistic approach that Jesus has for making disciples, and we mentioned making disciples is a concept that his audience were familiar with, and that's basically about being a certain type of person in the world. The disciple was to resemble the discipler. They lived their lifestyle. And Jesus was saying, I want people that would live like little Jesuses in the world. They, they will resemble my life. They will abide my, by my motives. They will pursue my mission and purposes. I want people that live like me in the world because that's what God created us to be according to His image and His likeness to bear His resemblance in our world to the creation around us. The first motivation that you might want to memorize that passage in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It's a biblical mandate. The second thing, it was Jesus' method by which... He turned the world upside down. You would imagine if there was a better method to launch this Christian movement, if there was a, a more articulate or a more effective approach, uh, Jesus would have done it. If it was about, you know, uh, uh, mass production, if it was uh, just uh, an opportunity to engage with some activist groups or establish, uh, you know, whatever, um, you, you know, uh, club that would produce this, Jesus would have done it. But Jesus focused on 12 ordinary people and he trusted, he didn't have plan B as they say, <laughs> he trusted that this odd ordinary group of people of misfits were going to change the world because of his investment and because of the power of the Holy Spirit that was to indwell, fill and overflow uh, through them. It says in Mark 3, 13 and 14 that Jesus went up on a mountain early in his uh, ministry and called to himself those he wanted. He selected, that is. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that they might uh, and that he might send them out to preach. That means Jesus focused on the 12 disciples to be with him, to learn from him in close proximity, to learn to like Him and be like Him and to go out and do the same thing in a, in, in, in a natural way that they would observe, that they would imitate, they'd come back and Jesus would coach them to live His life on earth. So the first one, it's a biblical mandate. The second motivation, it's that it's Jesus' method. He used it and he changed the world as a result of it. The third uh, motivation is that it's uh, really um, the, the, the one method for genuine multiplication. You see, so often uh, people approach the concept of discipling as the poor cousin. Like, I want to really preach. I want really, you know, ha have a big stage. I want to do crusades, whatever it might be. But if I can't do that, or if you don't have the talent to do that, maybe you can do the small group of people, the 12 or the three or whatever it might be that Jesus did. You know, that's like the poor cousin. And we, we wonder why Christianity is in decline. 
But the, the method for multiplication is associated with discipling, life on life in a small group of people who get socialized in being a specific type of people in the world. They, they are enabled by the Holy Spirit to live a particular lifestyle that's so attractive and to, and to uh, implement that in an environment where other people can see how attractive that is. So they want it and they live it. And the, the cycle of perpetuation, it's not multiplying uh, knowledge or skills. It's multiplying a certain type of people in the world. That's why Paul, the greatest uh, missionaries uh, we read about in the New Testament, in fact, probably the greatest missionaries of all, a missionary of all times. He wrote this to his uh, disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 2. He says, And the things you have heard me say, so here is Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people. So you heard me, so you, Timothy, heard me, Paul, entrust these to reliable people. That's a ge third generation. And what will these people do who will also be qualified to teach others also? You've got Paul, you've got Timothy, you've got reliable uh, others who will teach others. Here is a cycle of multiplication. So instead of me trying to change the world, I am investing my life in a few so that they will invest their life in a few, so that they invest their life in a few, and eventually over time that explodes and there is a huge multiplication. But I don't know why we don't believe that that works. And we want the stage and we want the big deal. I remember my dad telling me, you see, I was victim to the same mentality. When I was young and my dad would speak to me about the idea of the cyber, I was like, why would I want to do that when I can, you know, stand on a stage and preach and, and I don't have to deal with the intricate details of relational uh, difficulties and misinterpretation and risk of, 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 of betrayal and, and all relational, uh, you know, difficulties. I could just, you know, be a microphone basically and get the, you know, the glamour associated with that. And my dad told me a story I never forgot. I was quite young still. I said, you remind me of this friend of ours who dad was discipling and dad, uh, you know, did a lot of preaching anyway. So he wasn't missing out on preaching. It's not like he couldn't do preaching. So he did discipling, but he invested a lot of his time in discipling small group of people. And he was discipling a particular individual in a smaller group of people. And he was encouraging, inspiring, envisioning for them the opportunity that they would do the same thing. And, and a guy put his hand up and he said, are you telling me that I'm going to spend the rest of my life investing in a small group of people after a small group of people? After He says, I would rather die, quote, unquote. I would rather die. He felt ministry 
should be more glamorous than investing your life in a small group of people, teaching reliable people who will teach others also. No, no. He wanted to teach the multitudes. He wanted Jesus on, on the mount with the, with the miracles of the 5,000. Uh, he, he didn't want to be in the upper room with the 12. And when we embrace this myth that the greatest possible impact will happen with the greatest possible exposure, we miss, we miss the opportunity to change the world. And I'm not kidding. I remember this particular uh, equation that I've seen a while ago, that if someone reached one person per day, like that's got to be a mad evangelist, right? <laughs> if you were able to reach one person, to convert one person per day, in 30 years, so that in, in you know, 300 uh, odd, 60 uh, odd people that you're going to convert a year, but obviously because you're so involved in evangelism and reaching out to this one after this one, you're not going to have time to nurture any of these people. Uh, so by the end of a 30 year period, you'll have 10,950 conversions. But if you, discipled one person per year and then both of you discipled two people the following year and then the, the four of you discipled four people the following year and he kept multiplying everybody disciple one person a year that's achievable uh, that's life on life uh, that's simple and if we do that in the same amount of time that an evangelist would reach 10,000 or 11,000 people, you will reach over a billion people. Go do the match. Multiplication is explosive impact. But we want the billion. We want the million. But we don't want the one, which is the core of the equation. So... A motivation that has helped me and has helped our team to keep our eyes on the prize is to understand the phenomenal impact of investing in the one. There's no glory in it. You know, uh, being a pastor, often people will say to me, how many people in your church? But honestly, I have never been asked. I kid you not, I never been asked. Nobody said to me, how many people are you discipling? There's no glory in that. But if we invest in the one, imagine the multiplication that will come as a result. Another um, uh, motivator for you is Jesus-like maturity that comes out of investment in the few. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29, Paul, the greatest evangelist, says this about discipling. He says, He, that is Christ, is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And it says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Have you noticed that? Paul says, yes, we proclaim Christ. But we also admonish and teach. Why do you do that, Paul? It says because our goal is not just to seek converts. Our goal is to see people who are 
fully mature in Christ, people that resemble a certain type of person in the world, the ideal human being, Jesus Christ, embodied by the power of the Spirit. We want to present a certain type of person in the world. And to this end, he says, we strenuously contend. That means we put every ounce of energy. We get to the point of exhaustion, investing all the energy, saying, but this is not my energy. Christ supplies the energy so powerfully in me. And therefore, I would be able to invest in discipling others towards maturity. A motivator for us to invest in discipling the few is that it creates mature people who live the life of Jesus, not just know some theoretical, theological concepts. And that's probably the thing that breaks our heart and probably breaks your heart. We sing decline, not merely decline in numbers of Christianity, particularly here in the West where we are, but it's decline in the quality of the Christian life that is lived. Research suggests to us, um, you know, in a, in a Disciples Shift book, um, it, it, it examines different empirical uh, research and data from different books and different literature, and they conclude that morality and lifestyle issues such as divorce and pornography, domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, and other things, the right uh, the, the, the rate of, of Christians involved in these sort of activities uh, is very much the same rate as people who don't know Christ at all. That means our Christianity does not actually intersect with our daily reality. Our character, our way of living is not being impacted by the beliefs, the assertions, the confessions, the, the sinner sinners' prayers that we've uttered, that means Christianity is not impacting who we are. And therefore, the authors of that book say, why are people in our churches live just like the world? Why are we not developing people who are Christ-like? Fair question. If God in Christ, in First Peter, uh, sorry, Second Peter, chapter one, it tells us that He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, or in other translation, He's given us everything that we need for a godly life. If we have been endowed with the Holy Spirit, if we have been united with Christ, if we have been regenerated, that we have been made new, we ought to reflect the fruit of that seed of the life of Jesus on the inside of us. Wouldn't you agree? So it is fair and reasonable to ask, why are people in our churches live just like the world? Like, how are we not being different? How are we not living a different type of lifestyle if we've been given divine capabilities by the power of the Holy Spirit? Something isn't quite right. And I would dare say, because we're not investing in life, on life, in small dynamic groups, and seeking to help people see themselves differently, guess what? 
We are basically putting people through a, 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 a seminar after seminar every week where it's in one ear and out of the other. It's not impacting the way they see themselves. But imagine, imagine if we discovered that we could change the world not just quantitatively, but qualitatively, the type of people and the type, a certain type of personhood in the world. If Imagine if we could achieve all of that by merely investing in a small group of people and giving them our all. It's strenuously invest with all the energy that God by His Spirit has uh, given to us. Imagine what will happen. Imagine the the energy that we can invest and the sustainability of our motivation over time that come criticism, comes lack of fulfillment, comes people leaving. It doesn't really matter. The why is strong enough because our why makes us cry. It's so deep. It's so profound. It's so powerful that Jesus who died and rose again deserves nothing else but a group of people that would live wholeheartedly for Him, like Him and love Him and live like Him in the world so that the world would love Him too. It is our prayer that God would whisper His affection to you and that you wouldn't engage in discipling just to get a a big following or so because it's a buzzword and, and term around or a fad or so you can earn brownie points with God. You already are loved, approved and totally esteemed by your heavenly Father and that should echo in a lifestyle that invests in a few for the glory of God and the transformation of our world one heart at a time. Thank you for being with us. We look forward to your company in our next teaching session. Until then, be utterly blessed.